Enjoy the show. Beaming at you from the depths of the internet. This is the Temple of Geek Podcast, your one stop for all things geek. Welcome to the Temple of Geek Podcast. My name is Monica, and I will be your host today as we talk about Captain Marvel. With me today, we have two very special guests. Both of them are writers for Temple of Geek. We have Paloma and Emily here today, and we have a ton of great Captain Marvel goodness to discuss tonight. But before we do, Paloma and Emily, can you please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit about yourselves? Sure. Hi, I'm Paloma. Uh, By day, I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant with a firm called Ready Set. It's based in San Francisco. that basically works with innovative tech companies to help it build stronger, kind of better supported, more diverse teams. Uh, by night, I volunteer. I travel pretty extensively. Uh, I spend time with friends. I host bad movie nights, and I do a lot of fangirling. So basically talking about movies like this, I go to cons, I cosplay, and I dabble in writing. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm Emily. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you, Monica. Um, I'm a PhD student. I teach writing at University of Laverne. Um, I edit a poetry journal called Foothill um, Journal of Poetry. And definitely um, sort of a a closet geek in the academic community, but um, coming out of my shell a little bit more and more. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Well. Well, um, we're all for that. So (laughs) welcome. (laughs) Welcome, ladies. Okay, so first and foremost, let's just get it out of the way. What did you guys think of the movie overall? So I liked it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. Um, Honestly, I expected a little bit more. But, you know, I feel like I'm going to get canceled for this. But I think it's okay. And I think progress the process, progress exists for having a movie where it's like a fun ride and having like a badass leader that's also a woman. Um, but it didn't like make me weep the whole way through like a Wonder Woman, but that was just me. Uh, I, I loved it. <laughs> I went and saw it <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, and I loved it even more the second time. Um, I, I think I've actually been reading a lot of reviews and listening to things that um, – sort of reflect what you say as well, Paloma, which is I was a little underwhelmed by it. And I definitely understand um, that viewpoint because it, you know, it's up against so many of these other movies like Wonder Woman. Um, and it did, I think, the the flatness of it I saw, um, but ev- everything else about it, I didn't even care. I, I mm-hmm. wept three times through it. <laughs> I loved it. Um, I had a really, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good time. Um, I kind of had the same feelings towards it that I had when Han Solo, the Solo uh, movie came out. And um, which, which is basically like, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, there's things that were, you know, whatever about it, but there was also things that were really great about it. So I had a really good time. I enjoyed it. Um, I took my two sons and, um, to see it and they really enjoyed it um so for us it was good family time it was a good time at the movies and i really enjoyed it um did you guys have any favorite scenes from the movie 
I think maybe less specific scenes, but kind of like touch points. I loved the soundtrack. I feel like having grown up in the 90s, that girl power, power jam, um, really, it felt like it wouldn't have been complete without really running the gamut from those songs from like Heart to Hold to No Doubt, Salt and Pepper. They really put a lot of diversity there. And it just felt kind of like cathartic when she was fighting um, during... Um, I'm just a girl and I know what I know what I'm going to be working out to for the next couple months. That was like a really cool kind of like moment for me. Um, I really liked that there was no love interest full stop. Like I don't really, I'm sure there are people who will see chemistry between other characters. Like there's always people who are shipping things, but I love that that wasn't a focus of the story. Cause I think that that's where a lot of things you can fall down a lot of like rabbit holes there. And that's where a lot of kind of female led movies tend to focus on. Um, I was kind of hoping for there to be a little bit of a young roadie, uh, cameo, but I understood that they, they were trying to do a lot, and that was a little bit of a girl's dream. Um, and I guess the last thing was I love that they incorporated like a bunch of minor details that threaded together the MCU, like Project Pegasus, which I think has come up in like three to four Marvel titles at this point, like the early version of the Quinjet, the inclusion of like a bunch of design elements across. Um, like the Cree, um, the design of the ships, the inclusion of like Korath and like Ronin. I mean, a big part of why I love comic books and the MCU is that they have all this connective tissue. It's so unique. Um, it just like really keeps me coming back. I'm just like, what el- What other Easter eggs am I going to find? So not really scenes, but like things that I just love about these movies. Awesome. I love all of that so much. <laughs> um, I... I have to agree with you 100% about the soundtrack. Um, that moment when she is fighting with I'm Just a Girl is going to be on my workout playlist as well. Um, <laughs> and at the risk of sounding completely cliche, just the standing up scene. It was so mm. powerful. It was so powerful for me the second time as well. Um, and I know that that um, sort of that trope, like it's all about getting up again, is like it's a little tired, but the way that they were able to do that Uh, juxtaposed with the times that she had fallen before, I just thought was extraordinarily powerful. Um, And as far as some of the like other little moments um, that I thought were wonderful that are scenes, and this goes back to Paloma, what you were saying about um, no real love interest, um, the moments between the two best friends I thought Mm -hmm. were so lovely. Um, I think that Lashana Lynch is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that she's shown on the screen in a way <clears throat> that we haven't seen like a supporting character shine like that um, before. Um, it passes the Bechdel test with flying colors, um, which just to remind listeners is it's sort of a, a metric to see how um, how a, a film deals with uh, female voices. And there have to be two women, they have to speak to each other and they have to say something that isn't about a man. Um, And there are so many conversations between powerful women in this movie that do that. And um, I love that about it. And um, the way that this movie works to tell a female story, I just, um, I thought that that was really wonderful. Awesome. Um, I have to kind of like, you know, say the same thing that you guys said, which was um, the soundtrack was amazing. And not to toot my own horn, but I was really, really excited about um, 
the uh, the fact that I made a playlist two months ago um, because I was really hyped up about Captain Marvel. And so I made a 90s playlist um, to kind of like it's called Waiting on Captain um, Captain Marvel and I shared it Love on it. Temple of Geek on our website and so many of the songs that were on my playlist were used in the movies and I felt really <laughs> validated there you guys like I was just like, yes. <laughs> and even my Excellent. son was like you know hey mom isn't that the music you've been listening to like recently and I'm like yes it is yes and it's specifically <laughs> for this so I'll link it um in the post for like our listeners and everything but um I just there was a lot of scenes that I love. Like you said, the getting up scene, the scene that I really loved was with um, Jude Law's character. And I know I'm going to butcher his name. The Yon rogue. Is that his? Or Yon rogue. I think. Yon rogue. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so where they're fighting in the desert at the end of the movie. Oh um, yeah. And, and you know, he's like, come on, if you really want to beat me. Um, and then he, she's just, you know, blast him. And she was like, I don't have to prove myself to you. And that was like a big yes for me because like so many times, especially like in gatekeeping in like the geek community, I see that like, Oh, well, if you're a real fan, then you would have read all these. Or if you're a real fan, then you would know all about these characters or watched all of this and, you know, expanded universes, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I want to be like, Hey, like, I don't care. I don't have to prove myself to you and I can call myself a fan without having to like, you know, kind of like justify myself to anybody. And so that part just, I freaking love that part. There was also a couple scenes where she was really emotional and she was fighting, but you could see like tears in her eyes. And I yeah. thought that was really human because like, if you saw somebody fighting in real life, they probably would have like some tears in their eyes, you know, or the, especially when it's something personal or they're trying to save other people or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I really, really kind of like loved those scenes. And then also what you were saying about uh, LaShawna Lynch and her relationship. I wanted to see more of that. Like I kind of yeah. wished it would have been a little bit more of like their origin story as friends, because I would really love to see a movie where their like relationship and their friendship and how they became a family. Cause um, little Monica kind of alludes to it at one point where she says, um, you know, Oh, you didn't really like your parents, mm -hmm. but we became your family. And I felt like there was so much more that could have been explored there. So um, yeah. So those are the things that I kind of like loved and would like to see some more of. Um, were there any, was there anything that you guys disliked about the movie? So the two things that I think I disliked the most was I thought the light speed engine plot device was too much of a MacGuffin for me. I was like very distracted by it. I was like, isn't there, don't they hop between galaxies at least two other ways? Like don't they have the Bifrost and they have those jump engines like, I know maybe this is like a very small detail for everybody else because they obviously needed to introduce the Tesseract and I'm just that kind of plot nerd. But I was like, why, why did this matter? Um, and it, I ended up feeling like that confused math lady gif trying to figure out what the importance was and like if it mattered, if there was like a larger story there. And it was just super distracting to me. But at the end of the day, it was about the Tesseract and that's it. Um, and her getting her powers through it. Um, and then the second thing is just what I generally refer to as like the Superman problem, which is just, you know, I think 
seeing her kind of become going binary is such a cool moment, but I think it really create takes away this like tension of, of this character suddenly becoming like untouchable. Like I think part of why I love Captain Marvel is because she's kind of a messy character in the comic book. She's, you know, an alcoholic. She's got all these relationship things. She's, she's kind of this interesting um, combination of like witty self-destruction of like a Stark mixed with this like thunder moralistic superiority of like Cap. And she's just like this really strong character. And I feel like when you give someone that much power and no like catch, what what happens? Like, okay, is she going to go into Endgame and just solve the problem? Like, I wanted to know more about, like, does she need a hot moment to repower? Is she going to, is she just really clumsy when she, you know, like, what what's the thing there? For Superman, it's like kryptonite, which is, you know, I don't want it to be derivative in her to have that. But I'm just like, what's, she like cocked an eyebrow at Ronan and he peaced out. <laughs> it was like, it makes it a little bit more boring. And so I wanted to see more about how they were going to balance that. And they didn't really do that. Um, I think, I wonder why is it just because they wanted this like perfect piece of, you know, women empowerment, which I'm all for, but I also want it to be realistic. And I want it to be human, you know, because she's such a human character and that's what I love about her. So those are like the two things that I struggled with. I love that so much, Paloma, um, especially the way you put it as like a Superman problem, <clears throat> because I mean, maybe that it is supposed to be this like feminine, untouchable moment, but it's also like powers are complex no matter what. Um, yeah. And e- like even our own superpowers as humans, right, that we that we have in our daily lives and the different ways that we have superpowers, we all do kind of have a kind of kryptonite as well. Um, I, I love that criticism of it. I think um, it is just going to be obviously one of the really interesting things to see about Endgame. Um, I, Monica, what you were saying a little bit earlier about sort of the origin story of um, uh, Carol, this idea that like she didn't like her family. Uh, one of the things that I disliked about it is like, I think it could have been, I think it could have had three movies and maybe I'm pushing it and, you know, over projecting just my adoration for it. But I think there could have been one movie that talked about how she learned how to be a Cree warrior. There could be one movie where we learned about her backstory and all of, you know, joining the Air Force and all of these things. And then kind of culminating in this, um, this film would have, I think, made a really wonderful finish mm-hmm. to a trilogy that would then launch us into sort of, mm-hmm. you know, what's what's happening in Endgame. But um so, I mean, like, I, I'm not sure if that's what I disliked about it because I'm like, no, give me more, give me more. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I love thinking about the complexity of powers in that way as well. Um, and thank you. Thank you for that point, Paloma. Um, um, I don't think that I had anything that I absolutely disliked about the movie. There were things that kind of like, were like whatever for me. They're not deal breakers. I didn't hate it or anything like that. But I guess the things that I didn't love about the movie was it did feel like it was a little long. So there was a couple scenes where I was um, in the beginning where I'm like, wow, this feels like it's going on for a long time. And I was kind of just always waiting for the action. And then um, at the very um, at the very end, like when she goes up into space and like you know she gets like. You know, she's basically just stopping all the missiles and all that kind of stuff. It did feel a little heavy on the CGI part. 
um, where I felt like it was like a lot of CGI, like almost a little bit animated. And I kind of compared it to um, just even the trailer for Endgame where you see Tony Stark up in space and, you know, he's talking about how, like, there's only, like, you know, four days worth of oxygen left, you know, food ran out yesterday, whatever. And that scene was so beautiful when I saw it in the trailer and, like, just Tony up in space. And so then um, Captain Marvel's scene just seemed a little too CGI compared to that. And I get it. Like, she would... Obviously, they don't have the budget for Captain Marvel that they would have for, like, Endgame. But, like, at the same time, like, it just seemed, like, a little bit much. But it wasn't something that I hated. It was just something that I kind of noticed. And I was like, eh, whatever, you know. But that scene, um, but at the same time, that scene where she's, like, facing the Earth and is about to take off. I really like that, even though it was super CGI. Obviously, they're not going to shoot her up into space, but but you know <laughs> what? She wasn't in space. I swear. <laughs> um, so there wasn't anything that I super hated about it or anything like that. I just kind of like I was like, ah, they could have done better right there, but it's it's not a deal breaker for me. Um, how did you guys feel about Brie Larson as Captain Marvel? She's surprisingly polarizing. I remember asking um, my friends about her and like what they thought about her being cast and just like going into the movie. And everyone had like a super strong opinion about how they felt about her. Um, It was like this weird, it was almost like a reflection of the movie because people wanted her to be more effusive. They wanted her to be bigger somehow in the character. They wanted her to smile more. And as somebody who I feel like feels pretty deeply but is notoriously someone who plays her cards close to the chest emotionally i felt like the way that she played carol reverse resonated to me because it wasn't like it wasn't that like teeth clenching eye blazing power you know that you see in some of these other movies obviously wonder woman being the most recent example of it, like her Diana going into the no man's land moment that everybody likes to go back to. It was just like a little, it was subtler. Like it felt realer as somebody who didn't need to prove herself in that moment of resistance. Like she had something to do. She needed to do it. And she just got up and did it all herself. Honestly, I was sold when she started to share that fan art of like the Photoshop smiles on the super serious Marvel men. Um, when that whole, when the trolling started about like, you need to smile more. And I was like, yep, you're, you're done. You're Captain Marvel. I'm good. Like she, she could have like done anything and I would have been on board. So I was pretty happy with it. Both as Brie Larson and Captain Marvel. Nice. Uh, yeah. I loved her. Um, <clears throat> There, I think the first time through, I kind of, I did see what some folks have been saying about her performance falling flat. Um, But as I was watching this the second time, I felt like what she was really doing here is she was embodying what it means to be a comic book character on the screen, which, I mean, we can talk about translation from, you know, a visual um, 2D medium to a 3D one that could, you know, go on for hours and hours. But the... It, her flatness felt like I could have seen a speech bubble pop up in front of her and it would have the same effect to me. So I guess um, Brie Larson in this case, I think that she succeeded in doing something very complicated on screen, which is to really take the essence of what it means to be 
um, a character that was born on the page and put it up onto the screen. Um, and I, I can, you know, I can see how that goes both ways, but um, I absolutely adored her and her, you know, quirky sense of humor. And I mean, I do think some of her character from the comic book comes through like her complexity and how she's a little bit um, Plumy, you'd mentioned like she has all these boy problems and she, she's an alcoholic. Um, and you sort of see that that roughness to her um, mm-hmm. a little bit. And I, I enjoyed seeing that um, from Brie Larson as well. Um, I like that you said that the, um, you know, that roughness um, with her, what I noticed um, most was um, kind of like she was like this Han Solo character to me. Like she had this yeah. like sarcasm and this funniness. And, um, you know, I, I know, Paloma, you mentioned a little bit about how like, you know, people are like, oh, don't smile so much or this and that. But like she was really positive and pretty silly. Um you know, throughout the movie in a way that like, it was kind of annoying to the people around her in the movie. But like, us as the audience, I thought it was pretty cute and clever. Um, And there was something about that that I really, really liked. And you can tell that like, she was using like this humor almost as kind of like a way to like, power through her emotions. And obviously, so much of the movie had to deal with like her emotions. But I just really loved, um, I guess her, her kind of playfulness you know we've seen like in this universe at least like black widow she always seems so serious and she'll crack a joke here and there but it really felt like you know captain marvel you know carol danvers was just like funny and clever and witty all the time you know and you don't really see that in like you know like a gamora for example or like a pepper Potts. you know for the most part they're like pretty serious let's get down to business and it's like you know we got to get things done and she is too but she's just always like very witty and playful and especially her relationship with um, Nick Fury was very playful. So I really, really enjoyed her as Captain Marvel. I tried really hard not to read anything about her. The only kind of thing I'd ever seen her in was in Scott Pilgrim where she played Envy Adams. And I thought she was super talented in that. So um, that's the only thing I had kind of seen her in. So when they told me that that's who was cast, I was like, okay. But like, I tried not to read anything because I wanted to go in with fresh eyes. And I was pleased. I was really happy. I really liked her. And I thought she was a lot of fun. Um, So going on, how did you guys feel about the supporting cast? So Goose, notwithstanding, um, I thought... I think you'd mention this. I feel like we haven't talked about Goose at all, um, which I I keep wanting to call it Chewy because I grew up with the comic book, so I'm doing that terrible nerd thing or ter- terrible comic book nerd thing where I'm just like, oh, Goose's name is actually Chewy in the comic books. Um, Goose. Loved Goose. Um, Monica, you had mentioned earlier how you wanted Maria to have like a little bit more, and I felt like, I loved her inclusion. I loved who they cast. I just wanted a little bit more. Um, I wanted a little bit more in the sense that I wanted to see more of their history, especially considering the fact that they were kind of putting this whole idea of like sisterhood and their history and the fierceness of their connection, kind of helping her to overcome some of this like cosmic gaslighting that was happening by Yon Rog um, and helping and her helping her get over that and kind of like come back to the human side of things. Um, I just wanted to see a little bit more. And I know that partially it's probably because Monica, the the daughter is a 
superhero in her own right in the future. And they're probably setting this up for something in phase four or who phase 82 or whatever, wherever we are in the future of Marvel. Um, but yeah, I just feel like there was so much more that could have happened, especially given, you know, the talent of the cast that could have been there. Um, and then the other thing was like Coulson. I'm all for daddy Coulson, <laughs> like, but why was he here? Like, I just didn't mean, <laughs> I like, I, I will, I love Coulson. I will stay in Coulson all day long, but like, I didn't really need proof to understand why Coulson or Fury trusts Coulson. Like they clearly have a history. Coulson is sexually confident. Like he's kind of his foil. You know, he puts faith in people first, but obviously he's a spy, but like, I just didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get it. I was just like, it felt a little forcey. who's just kind of like showing up. Um, that also, I kind of felt like the Ronin bit was also a little bit forced too in the, kind of a similar way. But yeah, I just felt like some of the supporting cast didn't feel, felt a little like added because they had to add it. And I think that's kind of the problem with these movies in the Marvel universe because they have a place to be, like they have to get somewhere and they're moving so quickly towards Endgame. And this is what the last movie before Endgame um, they have, they have to fulfill some things. They have like a checklist of items. And so they wanted to kind of include all these people. Um, and I guess we haven't talked about fury and too much about fury and, um, Carol to uh, their chemistry. Like I loved that. I thought that was a positive. I think that they really like double down on their witty banter. I think they have like incredible chemistry. So it was just kind of a joy to see them. Um, I'm, I feel like everybody's gone down this rabbit hole of Easter eggs about like, is Fury a scroll? Is like, what did he say? I don't understand. Why does he trust her now? Like what's going on? Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how people have really like dug their teeth into that. But I think that I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't care if it's kind of out of character for him, but whatever. I, you know, like it's almost a little bit fanficy to me, but I it was fun. It. it was fun. I, I enjoy fun. I want it. <laughs> yes. Fun. All the fun. Um, I think that that relationship really plays into what we were talking about with um, Carol's overarching character and like how she is funny and silly and um, that it really is one of the the prime delights of this movie. Uh, I honestly, um, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. Uh, I just kind of want more Lashana Lynch. More, 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 more. Let's Give just say more. that really loud so everybody understands. Yes. More, more, yeah. more. Oh, um, so as far as me, um, I kind of feel the same about uh, Nick Fury and, you know, Captain Marvel's relationship. I thought it was fun. I'm not even going to complain. Like he could, I could, I could see how he starts off like kind of like, you know, we're cool. Everything's good. And then as the, you know, as his life goes on, things are not as like exciting anymore. And like, yeah, there's aliens, but now we have to really worry about this, you know? Um, so I can see how he goes to being more of like a harder character later on in the, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I enjoyed their, their thing. Um, I really enjoyed the scrolls and I was prepared to like, hate them because I didn't know anything about Captain Marvel. So I thought these were the bad guys, right? And they make you think in the trailer that these are the bad guys. And um, 
Oh, darn it. I should have put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this. (laughs) (laughs) Back out now. Back out now. (laughs) I would have like put it in the title, spoiler warnings. Uh, But yeah, so like, you know, I had this, you know, I was, so Gemma Chan, I love her. And she's Minerva, the blue lady, you know, that's fighting alongside of the on the Cree side with uh, Captain Marvel before she figures out they're the bad guys. And I really wanted her to be a good guy. Like I was so mm-hmm. excited when I had seen like the, you know, the EW photos of like her. I was like, who is that? Oh my God, it's Gemma Chan. Oh my goodness. She's fighting with Captain Marvel. That's amazing. And I was really excited and I was so sad to find out she was a bad guy. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, and it's one of those things where like, I would have wanted to see more of that as well. So, um, you know, it was a little bit of a, a shocker to me. But yeah, I totally agree with you, Paloma, on the Coulson thing. Like, I felt like he didn't really need to be there. Like, I get it. They threw him in. Yeah, that's where he started. Like, I can wrap my head around it. It's fine. But like, we didn't really need him to be there. You know what I mean? Even if he had just made a cameo at the very mm-hmm. end, like when he's bringing the eyes to Nick Fury and he's like, <laughs> hey, I'm the new guy or whatever. Yeah. That would have been enough for me. Like, I didn't yeah. need Coulson the whole time. But I did think the scene where he calls him and he's like, hey, I got all the lab stuff. I picked up the evidence. Where'd you go? <laughs> like, that was funny. And I really liked that because I feel like as the new guy, like, say you just got in there and you're the new guy go in there and you're, like, so awkward. Like, what's yeah. going on? And, like, I feel like that would have been me on, like, my first day. Shit. <laughs> like, did I mess something up? Like, did I miss something? So I was fine with that. But, like... I agree with you, Paloma. He didn't really need to be there. Like, we didn't need him. And Ronan was just kind of a nice reminder. Like, oh, okay, this is how it all ties in. Um, But uh, what was funny was at the end of the movie, uh, you know, we're sitting there waiting for for the end scene. And the people behind us were arguing about the Tesseract and how what Fury did with the Tesseract afterwards and how did Loki get a hold of it? And why is the Tesseract on earth? And like, it started this argument of like, man, we need a a need to do a rewatch. And it was like two rows of people like discussing this, trying to figure out what the big deal with the Tesseract was. And which is really fun. Um, Yeah. Like they're my new friends now, but, um, but yeah, like there was so much, like, like you said, Paloma, like it just felt like everything was just tied in just to say, Hey, here's the Tesseract. And this mm-hmm. is how it ended up or whatever. So there's just a lot. I mean, we have so many movies and we're at the end coming up to end game and everything. Um, overall, what did you guys think about the storyline? I know we hit this a couple times, but just kind of an overall. I appreciated that they flipped kind of the switch on the villain. Like we, like you said before, like you went in not really knowing about the scrolls. A lot of people expected the scrolls to follow like the comic book storyline, which is the scrolls are bad. Um, we left kind of this idea. The scrolls were came up during like the Cold War, and it was this idea that there could be spies anywhere because they can look like any of us. And so there was this kind of paranoia um, that came with them. And so I think it instead followed that thread started by Thor Ragnarok, which was this idea that the real villain is this sort of willful ignorance. And I'm going to go deep. The willful ignorance in like the face of imperialism and war and like the oppression of like refugee populations. And they kind of talk about that a little bit too um, in the movie, but it's like this idea of like what happens when you think you're a hero, but you're really just reading a history written in blood by 
those who wrote it, which are the victors. And I think that's kind of that story of her realizing that she's just been on the side, that she's only, she's only got one perspective, which is obviously very relevant in our, our world today. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way that they made what is largely a derivative story into something new and still followed through with like something that I think Taika Waititi did very well in Thor Ragnarok and people really loved, um, which is like flipping the script and kind of reflecting some of the things that are happening. Um, And so I really liked that. And I thought that that was kind of an important thread in the store, in the plot. Um, I think tonally, like the plot was a little bit all over the place. I think, you know, it was trying to be funny and resonant and serious. And sometimes it came off a little bit campy and serious question mark. And so that bothered me a little bit, but that's as somebody who's just a writer. And so it, you know, that's just a personal thing. I loved the scrolls. You know, just because they were fun and I really love Ben Mendelsohn and I think I wasn't sure how I was going to love Talos, but I actually did a lot. Um, But yeah, I think overall the story made sense. There were some McGuffins that kind of bothered me. I appreciated like they flipping them flipping this, you know, the script on the villains and that Jude Law was a bad, bad man again. Um, (laughs) Gaslighting everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I also, I thought it was actually kind of funny. And I was thinking about this afterwards. My partner kept calling Ronin, S-D-E Ronin, which is, and I'm not going to curse, but he, which is basically small D energy Ronin. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> he was like, with all the bluster in the Guardians movie, he was like this big bad, you know? And then I was like, this yes. is his entry. Like, he basically yes. runs away when a woman basically shows any amount of power. And I was thinking about a whole thing with you know the trolls and the rotten tomatoes thing and i was like maybe this is like some sort of metaphor for trolls in the fandom and i was like i'm just gonna take that away i'm just gonna think that that's like on purpose (laughs) and that was like maybe this is just like a hidden hidden thing that they're speaking to me about because it was just so i was just like why did he just you know what it it doesn't matter he's just a small man who's just running away from another powerful woman (laughs) and so i I love it i love it (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, Paloma, I think you hit right on the head um, with the storyline um, and what they did with the scrolls. And I don't think you said, I'm going to go deep on this. I don't think you're going deep. I think that that's exactly what it is. Like, it's definitely a narrative on diaspora and what it means to be a refugee. And I also don't think um, you use the word in imperialist that's exactly what the Cree are are imperialists um and i think that for people who are saying this is a feminist movie it's also a political movie because that Mm -hmm. is that's a lot of commentary um especially you know like the refugee crisis that we're sort of going through right now and um between the united states and mexico and and how our uh, administration is dealing with that and not to mention you just can go back to the syrian refugee crisis um, it's absolutely a comment on that and how we should be thinking about our enemies as perhaps also people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really big takeaway that, um, I took from it and a takeaway that I took from it. How <laughs> um, that was something that I found very poignant and important. And I was really proud that the Marvel universe did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm proud to have put my dollars behind that film to uh, move that narrative forward. 
Um, and I, I agree completely with you, Paloma, and I agree with you, Emily. And one thing that my son said while we were watching, especially like the canyon scene where they're like, you know, trying to dodge the Gemma Chance character, Minerva, in the in like the canyon or whatever. My son said, they both said at the same time, this is so Star Wars. And it did feel a little bit like Star Wars in the sense that like you said imperialist and that made me think of like the empire and everything. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's very true. Like when one person thinks they're so right and what they're going to do. And that was like Anakin's biggest flaw, right? Was that he thought he was right. And he thought what he was doing for his people and everything was good. And, you know, it is political. Like, um, a lot of people say sometimes like, you know, Oh, I wish, um, these fantasy movies weren't political. You know, I wish they would just kind of make them like fun or whatever, but what they don't realize is, what makes me think is that when they were younger, when they were watching these movies, they weren't grasping these concepts because mm-hmm. these movies have always been political. Comic books have always been political. They've always been narratives, um, you know, about what's going on around us and things like that. And uh, these heroes are our heroes because they're the ones doing what we wish we could do. You know, they have these powers that we don't have, but they push these narratives of, you know, what's right and what's morally right. And it doesn't matter who's in charge. It matters what's morally right. And I think you guys both like really hit a lot of that as far as like the storylines and the takeaways from that, because that's exactly what I felt. Yeah. And then also leading us to questions, you know, so it's not necessarily a moral compass, like this is the way to go, but it, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to a roadmap, it sort of says like, no, here's a compass. Mm -hmm. um, If that makes sense. Yeah, and I liked how Talos at the end was like, my hands, basically my hands are just as dirty. Like, it doesn't mean there's no black and white. Like, everyone is touched, is dirtied by war. You know, Mm -hmm. he's just as guilty, but, you know, he was surviving. You know, no survivor can be innocent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And any other takeaways that you guys got from the film? Um, I guess in the larger thinking about like moving forward in in the marvel universe like it seems like they're just kind of pushing us forward in terms of perspective like the torch is being passed to a new set of heroes and this is like how they're expanding how we view everything like everything is now cosmic things are viewed through space time dimension identity it's not just you know the same kind of white rich dude you know I love Tony Stark, but like, it's not just the same kind of dude who's the superhero or the leader of the team. I'm assuming that Captain Marvel will eventually take over. You know, it's not the same people who are going to, or it's not going to be the same locales. They're going to be, these wars are going to be taking place or these scuffles are going to be taking place. It's going to be on a cosmic level. We already know we're going to see dimensions and time travel and space travel. So it seems like they're really trying to push our boundaries in terms of, you know, what to expect. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that you put that really well. Um, importantly, I think a really good takeaway is never underestimate the power of a cat. Trust a cat. That's what I got. You're such a dork. <laughs> Emma, with pride oh, I love that um honestly like everything we've kind of talked about um 
were the biggest takeaways that I got from the film, which you guys hit it all. And Goose was pretty awesome. Like, I really love that. Goose was excellent. I really love that. Um, so um, according to GameStop.com, the, um, the uh, $302 million that Captain Marvel made for its opening weekend is the sixth biggest opening in history of movies worldwide. In North America, Captain Marvel finished the opening weekend at the seventh largest opening uh, weekend in the MCU. What do you guys think that that tells us as far as like Marvel fans and as a society, what this means? You know, I remember not too long ago, Marvel started to cancel runs led, comic book runs led by more diverse characters. So like Luke Cage, um, America Chavez, Iceman, Gwenpool. And they basically said diversity doesn't sell. And I didn't agree with them then, obviously. And I think a lot of factors went into why they said that, including a lot of misleading factors, including, you know, comic books industry-wide were in a slump and the fact that Marvel was shilling events left and right and people were just kind of over it. Um, I just really want to go back in time and just send one of those like life-size Will Smith's arms wide open like image to the Marvel team and just say, (laughs) you know, like they have been hungry for it. They'll continue to be hungry for it. It's an untapped market. If that's how you want to look at it in terms of revenue, in terms of creativity, in terms of growth and people will support it, not only for themselves, but so that their sisters and brothers and children get a chance to see, you know, themselves represented. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm behind you in, all of that. Um, I think it's like the sense that, oh, you know, this, this isn't going to sell. And then we, you know, obviously with Black Panther, that was like a huge middle finger. Um, <laughs> this isn't going to sell. And that, no, of course it, it did. Like this was one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Um, and I, I love to see that the movies that people are saying, you know, this is too, it's just it's too diverse it you know doesn't deal with with the white rich men um and people aren't interested in narratives other than that narrative um is nonsense and i'm just i'm really pleased that you know the um the economy behind that is Mm -hmm. is coming forward and becoming clear at a fiscal level right because it's one thing to be like you know marching in uh, you know for social justice or whatever but when you get to see the way it translates through um uh products and marketing and the mm-hmm. way that companies are making money from this I like what you said Paloma untapped market um, it's like it's it, of course of course these things are what we want um, so I'm pleased to see how successful it's been and I think that you guys make great points especially like the untapped market thing one thing that I always talk about and one of the things that um, I don't know if you guys are familiar or not but I do the temple of geek chic uh, fashion column where I talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, fashion and like different brands and I try to support like small businesses, but mainly geek fashion. And I feel like women are such an untapped market in geek. Like look how much money we spend in stores. Look at department stores and the way that they are now. They're all geared towards women. Women are the ones shopping. Women are the ones buying. When it comes to video games, 50% of products is purchased by women, whether it's women buying it for their children or women buying it for themselves. It's still 50% of women buying these, these things. And when it comes to shopping and dollars spent, women are controlling the market. And I think that it's an untapped market where they like, 
every, and I'll use the Her Universe um, 13th Doctor line, where um, it was so in demand, like people just wanted it, and there wasn't enough of it, because they thought, oh, maybe it won't sell, like, I don't know, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but there wasn't enough product for the demand, and even now, people are still, like, you know, they want more, and there's not enough product. But what is, but it's selling and women want the geek stuff. We want the geek outfits. We want it in feminine, you know, outfits. We want it in basic outfits. We want it in all kinds of out, outfits. And women are willing to spend their money. They're going to spend their money to go see themselves on screen. They're going to spend their money to buy the clothing that makes them feel empowered. And sometimes, you know, a Captain Marvel or a Black Panther like t-shirt will make you feel empowered. Um, I went to go see uh, Michelle Obama on her book tour for Becoming. And it was really funny because I could overhear as I was walking up one of my cousins saying, you know, like, is that Monica? I can't tell. The lights were really low as I was walking up to my seat. And they were like, is that Monica? We can't tell. And I was, and somebody else said, oh yeah, of course it's Monica. She's wearing a Batman shirt. And I went to go <laughs> see one of the most empowering women in the country. And I went to I went in what made me feel empowered, which just happened to be a Batman shirt. I would have gone in a Batman dress if there was one. I would have gone in a Batman anything <laughs> because that's what made me feel empowered. Um, and so women yeah. will put their dollars behind that. And it's a huge untapped market. And um, especially like in the United States right now, the biggest economic force we have is the Hispanic market. And if you are, if you want to like, you know, Make some money in your superhero movies. Put those Hispanic, you know, movies out there, those stories, those characters, and people will pay to see it. Just like people paid to see Black Panther. It's such an untapped market. And, and industries just really need to take advantage of that and accept that and bring it in. I really hope well, there's okay, a Michael like, Pena movie. <laughs> Psychic <Yeah>. movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I love yeah, all of that. So, I like, and, and it's, I just, I love this thing to the, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Oh, just like, we want to see ourselves on screen. You said that, Monica. And like, the fact that people aren't going to pay to see themselves reflected in heroes, like, of course we will. We are the heroes, you know, we're all heroes. And seeing a story that I can relate to, seeing myself in, in these characters, that's where, that's what I want to pay for. Absolutely. Um. So there was so many attempts to sabotage Captain Marvel. The fear of Captain Marvel was so big that Ron Tomato had to change the way that people could review a movie on their site based on the trolling campaign that Captain Marvel received. What do you think about all the commotion that's been made about it? I think that people will do anything when they fear losing their perceived power and status. We talked a little bit about it at the beginning about gatekeeping and so much of this world, this comic book sci-fi fantasy world in the past has been gatekept by men, largely white cisgendered men who have guarded it like Gandalf screaming, you shall not pass to anybody who didn't believe in whatever, in their harmful rhetoric that nerdy stories need to be told their way or no way at all. And I mean, look, what happened with the new Star Wars. It took something that I loved so much and it tarnished it just because it wasn't told, you know, perceived by a group of people as told the right way or with the right cast or whatever. 
the thing that I really appreciated about the way it was handled by kind of Brie and the team was that they were so graceful about how they reframed and kind of remained above the ugliness of the trolls they were pushing. They focused on pushing how the film was created about positive representation, about the impact it had on her and about the impact it has on the audience, particularly like children. It wasn't about like attacking back. It wasn't about like getting back in the trenches. I mean, ultimately these organizations, these companies need to realize that, you know, the internet and their websites can be weaponized against people. And it really causes these, you know, it has an effect like, you know, we saw that with many people, you know, depending on the movie, there have been instances of people leaving, you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever, because they got bullied because of the kind of um, uh, negative attention that they got from trolls. And, you know, I think Brie Larson really took it on and was just like, you know what, you told me to smile. Well, I'm going to re, you know, I'm going to retweet this hilarious meme, like didn't get, down into the trenches with these people and kind of kept us all above it all. Um, I think more organization, I think more actors and actresses should do that. And I think more companies should take it upon themselves to like actually make changes to how they allow people to use their platforms. If it's allowing people to be bullies. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot to say about that. It's just like such a hard, I have like so many feelings about it. It's like hard to condense it into a couple minutes. I understand. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I think you said it all so eloquently and beautifully, especially when you're starting off saying, I think people do anything to stop um, losing like their perceived power. <clears throat> and um, I, I, before we did this podcast, I, um, I decided to do some scrolling on Twitter of the boycott Captain Marvel just to look at the different things that people were saying about it and um, the the sentiment behind this, like stop pushing political agendas or um, Brie Larson is a racist. <laughs> and I'm just like, what are you? Wh- why? I mean, okay, like do whatever you want. Don't watch the movie, but I don't know. It's just, it's so silly. And the kind of rhetoric behind this that does then become powerful that um, leads to bullying, right? And the idea of leveling or using a platform to allow that to reach and affect people's mental health very seriously. Um, I think that, you know, Rotten Tomatoes did a great job in changing some things because we have to protect ourselves. Um, Yes, you are in the public eye when you go into this sort of industry, but that doesn't mean that like your mental health should be at risk because people are mean. I I absolutely agree with that. And if it's okay with you guys, I kind of want to read this thing from psychology today. It was written by Kimberly Key, who is a um, specialist in gender dynamics And um, she kind of talks about, you know, um, women's liberation and why men uh, fear it. And it's called, her article is called The Fear Behind Women in Power. And I'll kind of include it in the post as well, a link to this, because I think it's really important. It kind of explains a little bit about what some men, and I'm not going to generalize and say all men, but like some men might be feeling and why they're scared of this, like, you know, female-led movies. And so she says... 
While I have specialized in gender dynamics and even given talks on resolving the gender pay gap and understanding the hidden differences in the way that men and women work, I was still taken aback when a yogi, Ralph Gates, vulnerably disclosed in his books, Meditations from the Mat, that he has to work on letting go of an irrational fear of women's lip. He described that his struggles with seeing um, life as zero-sum game, if you win, I lose, so his fear of being powerless heightens when he witnesses that women are outnumbering men in law school, that deadly competition between the sexes is real, and sadly men are unaware that they have these unconscious fears about women's powers. The conscious people like Gates work hard to find it, own it, and release it. Part of the difficulty is that men are more wired to be high, uh, hierarchical and see things in a win-lose scenarios. It goes back to those innate hunter skills that allow a man to signally focus on killing their prey and to beat other hunters out for it first. Women, on the other hand, are more hardwired to be more multitasking and collaborative and seek win-win solutions. It's part of the mothering need to solve multiple children's issues while also cooking and cleaning and keeping an ear out for danger. The wonderful thing is that our evolution and our growth is that gender norms are changing a bit, and with the increasing role reversal, a bigger bridge between the sexes is built. Even so, the greater majority of men and women reveal a pretty entrenched male-female neurological pattern. So what does this mean for the women's movement and society overall? First, it illuminates the need for men to take Gates' lead and to uncover their own fears and biases about women. And it's also important for women to understand male fears so they aren't caught off guard by subtle forms of sabotage. Some ways that men unconsciously or consciously sabotage women is through sexualizing, dismissing, controlling, teasing, criticizing, interrupting, um, humiliating, abusing, and um, use, measuring women against a male standard. And so sometimes when I look at, uh, and that was all she wrote, <laughs> but uh, well, on that, that's all I'm reading that she wrote. But the article is really interesting, and it kind of makes me, in a sense, be more empathetic when I see um, kind of like some of the things that men are so upset about. And then it makes me understand that a lot of this comes from a place of fear. And it's not always like, a known fear that they even have or some of that anger like anger is never like an emotion that comes by itself so when you see the people on twitter being angry and so annoyed or you know trolling or whatever it is that anger doesn't come by itself anger always has a second emotion and in this case a lot of it is fear it's fear that this society is like oh well if women are in charge that means that men can no longer be in charge. And that's not true. Where, where, not to get super geeky, but do you guys listen to Hamilton? Mm -hmm. So at the end of Hamilton, Aaron Burr is like reflecting on the fact that he kills Hamilton. And he says, you know, I wish I would have understood that the world was big enough for both Alexander and myself. And that's the way it is with like, you know, superhero movies. And that's the way I feel about, you know, comic books and geeky fandoms in general is that the world is big enough for everything. You can have your male led films and your female led films. You can have a film with yep. both of them together, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's just kind of the big thing that I see. And I try to be empathetic and understand that sometimes when they're angry, it's, it's, 
it's really fear. And, you know, I don't know how to fix that, but understanding, you know, where all this comes from makes it a little bit easier to deal with on a daily basis and also a little easier to ignore when somebody's being cruel or hurtful. So, Absolutely, Monica. Um, so based on the end, oh, sorry. Uh, so based on the end credits of the, uh, the end scene at the end of the credits of the movies, do you guys have any predictions for Endgame? Um, I remember that there was some debate about when we'd see her enter the film. Um, I think with the, with what we saw, given Cap's depression beard and Widow's like blonde bob still going strong, she's joining a lot earlier than expected. Um, I wonder if they'll do the whole like, who are you tussle between heroes before they sort out their priorities and realize that they're both on the same side. Um, But I'd always imagine that she'd play a role in kind of fetching Tony. So I don't know, maybe that means that the whole team will go fetch our wayward genius. Um, I also wonder if maybe Goose's iron pocket universe stomach will play a part in the plot. Um, I actually just, uh, I, well, two things. I had read something about, and again, more spoiler warnings. <laughs> well, this is like fan theory spoiler warnings, but I had heard that part of the plot involves playing keep away with a version of the Infinity Gauntlet. And I was like, maybe this is a really great hiding place for that. <laughs> just like hide it where the Tesseract was. Um, and then related to the Tesseract, I recently, or I read today, that someone thought that maybe the Tesseract, when they caught, when the goose coughed up the Tesseract, that maybe it wasn't in the 90s, that it was maybe post-snap, um, and that we actually don't know when that happens, because maybe it's the Tesseract, maybe it's a cosmic cube, which is another, um, it looks like the Tesseract in the comic books, but it does, it's like a containment matrix in and of itself, it's a whole thing, which we don't have to get into, but is also an important aspect of um, the comic book universe and could play a part um, when they're trying to switch all the things around and go time hopping. Um, So I'm curious if that is a thing that they're trying to introduce, but those are kind of my theories. Excellent. So it's like, I need to take an intro to physics class to even begin to understand. Uh, I mean, like, I am, I'm really interested in the relationship between um, Captain Marvel and the Stones, you know, like, what, 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 how can, what is her relationship with them? Does she have um, abilities that are going to be able to control them in ways that the Avengers haven't been able to do it so far? Um, I want to know what she's up to between the end of this movie and the beginning of Endgame. Where have you been, girl? Like, like Thanos <laughs> was around snapping people. Where were you? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hello. Um, so, I mean, like, it's such a fun and um, like, easy rabbit hole to fall down with theories. And I don't, sometimes I just get, like, a little bit depressed because it's not here yet. And I'm <laughs> like, but I just need to know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm most, I'm just super curious about, uh, her relationship with the stones. I think that's going to be a cool. Mm-hmm. So you guys are talking about stuff that I hadn't even thought of. So that's amazing. That's really great. <laughs> um, I, 
I had seen something around like the time when the Super Bowl commercial was released and you see like um, all the remaining Earth Avengers, um, you see Rocket and Captain America and everybody mm-hmm. kind of lined up and everybody kept talking about this one gap in when they're walking. Like there was like a gap for like one person and there's like, who did they erase? Who are they, you know, trying not to show us? Um, And so now that I've seen the, you know, the end credit scene with, you know, her showing up with Captain and Black Widow, I I'm kind of wondering if maybe that's Captain Marvel that they had kind of edited out and didn't want to make a spoiler, you know? And so I'm excited to see that. I don't have any predictions other than I I kind of liked what you said, Paloma, about maybe it's Captain Marvel that goes to fetch Tony. Because obviously yes. she can, you know, zoom really fast into space and she can come back. And she's got all kinds of technology. Like, does she have her own spaceship? You know, do they go up together? I, I don't know. I hadn't even thought about that until you said that. But that just makes sense. Um, so now I'm excited. Super, super excited. <laughs> so thank you guys. Um, and really, I want to thank you guys both for coming on and talking with me, and especially because it was last minute. Um, but do you guys have any last thoughts before we sign off? Uh, honestly, I think that if any of our listeners like the movie, or even if you just like the character and want more, like read the comic books. Like I'm a big comic fan. I grew up reading comic books. So I would highly recommend um, Kelly Sue DeConnick's run, which the movie is heavily based on. She lives in the crown of the Statue of Liberty. I mean, you can't really get more badass than that. So it's funny. And she's, yeah, she was like, I forget why. But, you know, superhero stuff. It's like, obviously. Um, But yeah, she's like super badass. And it's, again, like heavily, the movie is heavily influenced by that, um, including the mohawk and the outfit. Um, So I think you'll really love it. Excellent. I've had forgotten about the Mohawks until right this moment. And thank you so much for reminding me because they're so delightful. Like it's Spartan. It's so cool that they're Cree warriors. I mean, even though they turn out to be not so awesome. Um, But I mean, like my sons, just go see this movie. I mean, if you listen to this podcast and you haven't seen it yet. Spoilers. spoilers, spoilers, (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, like take, Take your kids to see it. Tell your friends to see it. Um, I think it's worth watching, and it has it deals with some some complex issues that are worth thinking about. Absolutely, and I think I just like what Captain Marvel brings to the table. I love what she represents as far as finally getting these like female-led superheroes out there, and I love what the you know like what you usually tell me, Emily, like vote with your dollars. You know, I love that people came out and were like, yeah, we support this and this is really great. And obviously we're going to be there to support Endgame and everything else. So I'm just excited for more stories, more characters. And I'm excited that Captain Marvel is a thing. So I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. But all right. So that's going to wrap up this episode of the Temple of Geek podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter using the handle Temple of Geek. If you want to check out some of our other episodes or shows, why don't you head over to Temple of Geek? There you will find all sorts of content that pertains to the world of geek. Thank you, Paloma and Emily, so much for being here. My name is Monica, and we will see you next time. Please follow us on Twitter at Temple of Geek. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Temple of Geek. And remember to visit TempleofGeek.com. Your one stop for all things geek. Goodbye. This will conclude our transmission.